Hi, Sunshine. I'm Natasha, your host for the Shine Online podcast and the founder of Soul Studio. In this conversational podcast, I interview the brightest entrepreneurs I know with the goal of empowering you to do business in a way that feels real to you. These conversations will bring you no-fluff advice, honest discussions, and actionable strategies to help you shine online. There are so many bright brands in the online world, but there's always room for one more. Let's shine together. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I am chatting with Keisha White, and we are going to be talking all about clients and avoiding client burnout, which I think we all need in our life. So thanks so much for joining me for the show today. Yes, thank you for having me, Natasha. So first of all, I want to hear a little bit about your business journey, like going from corporate, your nine to five, and how you've fully you know, taken on your business and how you support people now. Yeah. So I started probably about seven years ago. uh, And at the time I was working in corporate sales and my nine to five. And really I was just looking for like a creative hobby to do on the side of my day job. Um, And then I guess I also at the time I was also looking for alternate career paths because I hated being in sales and I did not want to stay and I didn't really see a way out. Um, And so in my free time, I would always either be like researching careers or just doing some random hobby. And so eventually I started a lifestyle blog, which was turned into a pretty good fun hobby for me. And I designed my own website for the blog. And then around that time, too, I started noticing people with online businesses and like more flexible lifestyles. And I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. Like if you can have this flexible business that can let you make your own schedule and work from anywhere you want to work and not be constricted to that whole nine to five schedule. And then my wheels started turning and I was like, hmm, I could probably use this web design skill that I use to make my blog website and turn that into a skill that I can use in actual business. So uh, I started learning web design on the side of my nine to five and kind of working on projects for cheap or free sometimes just to get experience as I was like taking design classes and stuff in the evenings just to get better at it. Well, I will say in those first couple of years, two to three years, I really barely made any money. Honestly, I, once I look back, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I only made under like $2,000 <laughs> over like two, three years and doing all this quote unquote side hustling. And then I kind of got a little bit discouraged with the business. I will say at one point. And I took like almost a year off in my last sales job. So during that year, I was just focused on the job and didn't focus on the business. But luckily, that job was a software company that sold marketing software to entrepreneurs. So it still taught me a lot about like online marketing. So even though I wasn't marketing my own business, (laughs) I still got to learn every day and talk about that. And so that was my last corporate job, ended up quitting that job in fall 2018 to take my web design services full time and uh, now teach service providers how they can attract premium clients too. And yeah, and that's almost, that was like two and a half years ago at that point. So kind of a shortened (laughs) version of it. Yeah. What a journey. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, all those years ago, you literally were just starting it as a hobby and just to learn something new and, and be creative. 
And I can imagine at that time, the entrepreneurial space probably looks so different than what it does now. Was that a struggle for you? Or were you kind of just like so naive where you're like, I'm just doing this. I don't even know this is a thing. Like I didn't even know I'm missing out on resources and stuff because I feel like it's so plentiful now. Yeah, yeah. I was like super uh, naive to it for sure. Because really the only big example I can remember at that time for me to even look up to was like Marie Forleo. I used to watch her little weekly YouTube video every week. And she was the only one I could really, I really knew of. And I remember these two girls who were like life coaches together. And I used to follow all their emails. And I think I signed up for one of their programs, but I just wasn't exposed to it. And I didn't know what I didn't know. I guess that's why I barely made money for so long. Cause there weren't even a lot of resources out there to tell you like, this is how you do your pricing. And this is how you create real packages. And even in my design classes, they just were teaching design. They didn't teach business. So yeah, I was just out there winging it, making all types of mistakes with her. Oh yeah. I'm curious if you have, like, is there a mistake that sticks out to you where you're like, I cannot believe I did that. I learned my lesson, but I can't believe I did that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I, so back then I used to do, I was kind of doing different things. So I did a little photography, a little web design, and then I had like a little blogger workbook and I would do, and uh, sometimes I would do photography for like 50 bucks or something and be with somebody at, and at, I'm living in Atlanta and Piedmont Park is this huge park here. And mm-hmm. I kind of just like going to the park. So I was like, well, even though I'm barely getting any money and I'm at the park for like three hours, at least I'm at the park. So <laughs> and then I had to like go home and edit all these pictures. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I spent like three hours at the park, then like two, three, four hours editing for like 50 bucks. And I was up here right. thinking I was doing something with that. I'm like, that's like money to get groceries, I guess, for the week. But <laughs> Oh my gosh. Pricing is tough when you're getting started because I think even now, you know, when there are more resources, not enough people talk about pricing. And I mean, I think it's interesting. That's literally what we're going to be talking about is like charging a premium for your services. So what did that evolution look like for you when you were like, Hey, I'm like not making money how do I shift my service offering that I'm putting so much time and energy and not even to mention that transformation that you offer to people? How did you start charging that premium? Because I think I know I've done the $50 website, the you know $100 a month for social media management. I've done it too. So I know it's hard <laughs> to make that shift. It is. Yeah. So the first thing I tried to do, this was like kind of after this pretty much designing websites for free because I was so not confident in my skills to design the websites, I guess. And that's kind of why I did it for so cheap too, uh, because my undergrad was in like marketing. So I was just learning all this stuff later in my twenties. But anyway, so back then I would do it pretty much free. And then, so my first step was to be like, okay, I'm going to charge $500 for websites. And then I think I booked like three at that two of them were people I went to college with so they knew me already and they didn't even finish and pay the second half so they don't really care (laughs) and then one she actually paid the full amount and we finished her project this was the one lady that actually found me online Uh, but I was really struggling to attract and book people back then and looking back I see the mistakes I made in my marketing that was an issue that caused me not to book people But anyway, and so then I kind of got to that discouraged point where I was focused on my job for the year and pretty much didn't work on my business. Uh, And so when I decided to quit that job, now that was when I really was like, okay, now if you're going to leave your job, you're going to have to charge some real pricing or you're going to be back in a sales job making cold calls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So from there, I uh, went to $1,500 for my main package. It was a brand and web design package. And really that was underpriced. But since I was so cheap before, that seemed like a bigger price at the time. 
Yeah. And so I ended up getting overbooked. Well, I quickly took it up to 2000 though. Then I got overbooked with people at that $2,000 rate. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is so many people. They all said yes. And I didn't even think they were all going to say yes. And it was just all this work. And it was almost about the same amount that I was making in my nine to five to be juggling like eight, nine clients. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't do that. So then I took it up to 5,000 after experiencing that point of being overbooked. So I could book fewer people and give them better work and a better experience and not go insane, (laughs) trying to juggle projects. So it was kind of an evolution slowly to go from, I guess, zero to 500 to 2000 to 5000. (laughs) Right. And I think confidence definitely does have a lot to do with it. Like, I think it can be intimidating when you're still learning while you're doing like, I think now where you're at, obviously, you don't even have to think about it. You know, you're such an expert at it. But I know when we're just getting started, even if we are an expert, it's sometimes hard to really see that. And I love how you mentioned the marketing mistakes was one of the biggest reasons why you were attracting the wrong clients. So what were some of those marketing mistakes that was just leading to getting the wrong people? And it was like on you. It wasn't that they were just bad. Like you were just putting out the wrong messaging. Mm -hmm. So I really had like no strategy around messaging at all. Really. I would just make these generic announcements and like, Hey, everybody, I do web design. Somebody book me or like, Hey, everybody headshots affordable. I would literally, I remember one little flyer I made with affordable headshots. I'm like, why would you put affordable on here? <laughs> <laughs> He's selling on qualities. And then me, me coming right. from sales, it's like, I should know that. But for some reason, a lot of the stuff I learned in sales, I didn't apply to my business, even though it translates, but I wasn't translating anyway. But it was, that was a definitely, those are big mistakes. And then I had too many different things on my site. Like I would have the photography stuff up there, the website stuff up there the blogger workbook. And I think I was still kind of blogging too. So probably when people saw me, they were probably like this hobbyist type girl. I'm not really, (laughs) not really feeling this or looking at her as like this true expert because she kind of looks scattered and all over the place. But I guess it took me trying different things to figure out what I really wanted to focus in on. But also if you're trying to do that, you're not going to get the best clients either at at that time. (laughs) But yeah, those are the main two things. Just no real messaging strategy and then just being too scattered. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think we all struggle with that. Like, I think if you're listening right now and you're like, oh my gosh, this is me. I'm a mess. That's okay. We've all been there. And I'd love for you to share, like, especially when you're mentoring your clients, what are some shifts or some strategies people can put into place to start attracting those premium clients, whether it's their marketing or social media or how they're, you know, presenting themselves online? Like, what are some things that people can put into action to start to, you know, increase their prices and really attract that premium client that, you know, values their time and energy and all that good stuff? Yeah, well, definitely uh, the first piece is just making sure you really position yourself as an expert at what you do by just picking something to focus in on once you're ready to charge a premium. Because I know we all go through that experimentation phase to figure out what you want. But once you go through that, then be like, okay, I want to position myself as the expert at this. So that way, when people find you, they'll kind of view you in a more trustworthy way. Um, And then from there, really getting clear on your messaging, like who are the types of clients that you really want to work with? And then what benefits are in it for them, for them to invest in your services? Because a lot of times in the beginning, like the way I did, we tend to make these general announcements and just want people to just sign up because we offer the service. But 
people want to get something out of it. It's like, are they trying to get a new website so they can get more clients? Do they need social media marketing so they can get more clients or so they can get more visibility? Like think about it in their perspective and then really build your marketing strategy around the benefits to the client and the challenges that they're going to be overcoming. And then that makes you appear as a more strategic expert who is really worth a premium. Um, And then one more thing I recommend too, is having a really good organized client experience too, because when people want to hire somebody at a premium, they do tend to have a bit higher expectations. And then I guess too, in my pit, I have higher expectations of myself too. <laughs> so I'm like, right. okay, if I'm going to charge somebody more, I got to make it worth their while and make it easy for them to go through the process and make it nice and supportive and checkpoints and Zoom meeting, just things that make it nice and a nice flowing process. So make sure you be intentional about that too. So people can have a great time when they work with you and they can get a really, really good outcome at the end too. Yeah, that is such a great tip. Are you ready to start showing up consistently and growing your brand using Instagram? I am so excited to reintroduce my signature courses, Instagram for impact and shine on Instagram video. Instagram for Impact teaches my signature framework for strategically showing up in a way that makes Instagram a lot more fun and profitable for your brand. So if you want a plan on where to focus your energy on Instagram, this course will give you impact-driven content strategies that I know you'll love. And then with Shine on Instagram video, I basically combined all of my favorite tactics for using IGTV, stories, reels, lives, I teach you how to use all four video types effortlessly in your content strategy to build real relationships with your audience. So that course is for you if you really want to use video content to position yourself as an expert and leverage the major marketing features on Instagram. And if you're like, both of those sound really awesome, you can get them both in a bundle to save you time and money. And it also includes my guides mini course and my 30 day reels challenge with 60 detailed reels prompts. So if you want to get more details on these courses and enroll today, I have a link in the show notes, but let's get right back into this conversation. When it comes to client experience, like where do people start? And I'm kind of curious, maybe some elements, a part of your client experience that I think are really special. Like I know obviously there's like client management tools, like a CRM, like Dubsado, and then there's like client gifts and there's like client communication. Like there's so many things that go into a part of that. So I'm kind of curious what your client workflow looks like. Yeah. So I kind of break it up into like three stages, like the onboarding and then the service fulfillment and then the offboarding. So for the onboarding stage, uh, onboard people as quick as I can, like once they make their payment and they uh, were their first payment and their agreement is signed to me, then I consider them officially booked to where I uh, go ahead and send them a link to like a welcome page telling them what they need to get to me to start on their project. Uh, so it's just like three little steps, like schedule your kickoff call, get acclimated to Asana. I use Asana to as a project management tool. And then it's like a little business info questionnaire they have to just fill out. So I try to get that to them quickly so they feel welcomed and like they (laughs) didn't just send this uh, several thousand dollars off into the black hole and like, what's she over there doing? (laughs) So I try to do that quick. Um, And then the kickoff call, to me, that's a really big piece that I didn't used to do because I used to just do the questionnaire 
And when I would do that to meet clients, especially with design type work, their responses would be kind of vague. And I felt like I didn't get a lot to work with, I guess, as a designer to know what unique work can I create for them because the responses were just so generic. And so I was like, okay, let me kick off with like a branding strategy session to get a clear outlook on their unique brand and like to let them elaborate through like an actual call so I can hear their words, like ask follow-up questions. Uh, And then I created this whole brand strategy process that I take people through. And that gives me such a strong foundation. And then it helps the clients think in a more organized way about what they need to present on the website and what tools we need to connect to the website and helps us to just talk through things. Because to me, sometimes things can get misconstrued in those questionnaires or just an email So sometimes you do need the verbal interaction to get on the same page with people. Uh, And then in the middle, service fulfillment, some of the big pieces that helped are uh, like when I do big deliverables for clients, like a logos for them or like the style guide or the preview of the website before I build it. Like I like to do Zoom presentations to just show it to them. And that helped me a lot because I used to not do that. I would just send it over in Asana or just email it. And then you end up getting all these revision requests because people don't know what, why, why did you pick this? Or why did you, <laughs> right. why did you pick that? And when you can present it to people, you can talk about it with them and be like, okay, I selected this because you want your brand to be perceived like that. And this is how it supports your message and your goals. And then you get way less revision requests. And uh, even if people do want changes, you can talk through it with them to figure out, to have clarity on what changes they want instead of just making guessing and making some changes. And you'll be back and forth with people for weeks if, <laughs> oh, yeah. if you do that. And then I guess the end little piece on the offboarding, um, I definitely do the gifts like you mentioned uh, when they will above a certain spending point. And then I do a nice little training at the end to... And then the last little thing, I like to get testimonials, video testimonials, because you can transcribe them if you want them transcribed. Because you know how nowadays there's so much fluff on the internet. Like I'm like, let me get some people on video to make sure they know I'm working with real (laughs) (laughs) real humans. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I kind of build that into the process too. So they'll know like, and it's a reminder in the end. Uh, And then they like the training at the end too, to just show them what to do with the website and how they can make little tweaks and stuff. So. Oh, that is so good. And I know anyone that's a designer or they do websites, they're going to find that really valuable. And I love how you mentioned an onboarding call, because I think you mentioned a lot of really great things. I think, especially with a service where people don't do it at all, you know, like they don't do web design, they don't do graphic design, whatever it is. I think there does need like sometimes people don't know how to communicate what they visually like or what they want to see like in a questionnaire. Like sometimes people do, you know, when they talk it out with you on a call, it's completely different than what they put in the questionnaire, even if your questions are like absolutely amazing. So I love how you mentioned that because when I was doing social media management, that's a huge thing that I would do is I do all the intake information, you know, I'd have my onboarding phase. And then we definitely would have that kickoff call where we'd walk through Slack. I'd walk through what I was envisioning. What are they envisioning? Reviewing their goals. It's just really valuable to talk things out. And especially when we're talking about like charging a premium, like that's a premium service because you're getting my time. We're talking it out. We're strategizing it. 
and anyone can just be like behind a computer screen and just delivering things out of the blue. But mm-hmm. doing those little videos, like you mentioned, I think it really makes that premium experience because to charge a premium, you need to give that premium experience. Mm-hmm. You do. Yeah. And it makes people feel more comfortable too. Cause like, I'm sure maybe even with your type of service, they maybe have end results that they didn't like with other people in the past. So they kind of put oh, yeah. them more at ease to be like, okay, well, she's going to give me all these checkpoints. So while I can make sure I'm going to like it in the end. So yeah, it helps a lot. Definitely. And I know something you struggled with when you initially were getting started and something I've even struggled with to this day is capacity because that's what leads to client burnout is when you say yes to all these amazing inquiries you're getting, you're like, wow, look at all these people interested in my services. (laughs) Especially if you come from the point where you didn't have a lot of people interested, you're like, wow, I'm saying yes to all of this. (laughs) But I think it's hard as service providers to know when am I at capacity? So what are, where are your thoughts there? Like, how do you know how many clients you're retaining and, and some tips for people to kind of avoid that burnout by saying too many yeses and too many yeses to the wrong types of people too? Yeah, yeah. So I really definitely struggled with that in the beginning. Because like you said, when I first quit my job, I had zero clients and just my little six months of savings. So I was on hustle mode, like, okay, hurry up and get people before the money runs out. <laughs> so I think I had like one person for like a month and a half. And then out of nowhere, like a couple of months later, all the little promotion I was doing started to pay off. And before I knew it, I was up to like eight people. And I was like, whoa, I didn't expect this. (laughs) So that quickly kind of taught me like, okay, eight was way too many. And then I just kind of started to ask myself like, okay, based on how much time each of these projects takes up every week, um, how many would you feel comfortable with juggling at one given point? And then I somehow came to the number like four at a time for me to feel like I'm at my max capacity. And then I kind of started to gauge it based on timing to like if a project takes eight weeks or something. And so I know I'm going to be working with one from January to March for eight weeks. And then, well, maybe a couple of people that start in January, a couple start in February, kind of thinking about where the overlap is going to be with people too, mm-hmm. to be like, okay, two should be finishing while two are starting. And I don't know, it's kind of a cycle in a way. Um, so yeah, so you kind of have to start with like how many hours a week do you really want to work? And I guess that's a big piece too. And based on the hours of week of the week that you want to work, um, then think about how much time do you want to, I don't know, I guess how many projects can you fit into those hours? <laughs> right. If that makes sense. And then that can kind of help people come to a capacity number um, when you think about it in that more practical, like hours of your time. Because I think sometimes, like you said, we just get excited and we're focused like, oh, we're getting people giving us payments and money's coming in. But after that money comes in, you have to do the work. So <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So think about the timing of every week in real life for yourself, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. And I think when I was kind of discovering this for me is that I think it's really valuable to like actually track your time if you're not sure. Like how long does it actually take me to do projects? And anyone that's a service provider knows what about revisions? What about back and forth? Because there's always those clients that like a little bit more back and forth. There's clients that don't. So kind of giving yourself a buffer for those wiggle room, I really find was really helpful for me. And I definitely want to plug another episode. And that is with Jordan Gill, all about intensives and VIP days. If you're struggling with your projects going really long and that you're wanting to say yes to clients, but you know your timelines are really long, definitely experiment with possibly doing like a VIP day or even a VIP week, which I think would make a lot more sense for a website or or design projects. So it's a great way to like get your clients their results and and only focus on one client because it can be really hard to juggle a ton of clients. Do you have any tips there? 
Yeah. So with that, I definitely, my project management tool is everything for me. <laughs> right. Because every now and then I'll get a client who kind of complains and like, oh, I don't know how to navigate through Asana. And I'm like, oh my God, if I didn't have Asana, I wouldn't even know what step we're on. So, <laughs> right. so that helps me a lot with juggling different clients um, and then setting the boundaries with them too, for like calls and stuff. Cause I typically, I don't like spontaneous client calls. If they just randomly Oof. call, I'm like, can we schedule this please? Cause I have other things. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like that kind of helps to having like a client call link. So if somebody does ask for a call, I'm like, hey, here's my client call link and mm-hmm. schedule it here so I can continue working on what I'm working on instead of stopping and then talking. And some people get long winded and supposed to be oh, 30 yeah. minutes and they talk for an hour about their whole life. I'm like, OK. <laughs> yep. but, but anyway, those are my major things. Asana and just scheduling those calls and not being afraid to have your boundaries with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what are some boundaries that you felt are helpful for you when it comes to clients? Because yeah, a big one for me was definitely calls. Like this is how many calls you get. These are my office hours when we're doing slacks, of course, with like management, monthly management, you know, you're communicating all the time, which is great, but also not great. So (laughs) what were some boundaries that you kind of had to start to implement to make sure you could stay in that zone of genius and get your projects done and they weren't going over or they weren't, you know, doing too long and calls all the things. Yeah. So uh, one of them was like asking for feedback in a certain amount of time. Cause sometimes people, even now, sometimes I still have to chase people down and I'm like, I put it everywhere. I put it in the contract. I put it in the sauna. <laughs> right. Uh, but sometimes people drag the feedback out so long and I'm like sending them their next step. And then they take a week to respond to it. And I'm like, I put a requirement in there to give me your feedback in 48 hours to just help us keep mm. things moving along. Uh, so that helps with most people. Some people still don't pay attention, but, (laughs) but anyway, most people do who actually have some urgency about their projects. Like you said, also the office hour thing, cause I don't do work on weekends. I had one client recently was like, do you work on the weekends? I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) not working on websites on the weekend. It's not heart surgery. But um, just kind of letting people know, I guess, if they do care, like what the office hours are. And like I said, really that call scheduling links links help me a lot because literally everything yeah. is in the project. Like for your training, I got a scheduling link for the kickoff call yeah. scheduling link. So it's all that back and forth. The when can we talk? I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> literally, if you don't have a calendar link, start it right now. Because mm-hmm. I think even from a, like someone that's worked with people for whatever reason, you know, booking a podcast, um, you know, we're doing a discovery call, like get a calendar link right now. Pause this episode, mm-hmm. go get one. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. You're going to save so much time because I'm oh. like, I hate the back and forth. I'm like, we oh, could have too. been and both zone. doing different things. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, that's oh it. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody has time for that. <laughs> nope. We don't. <laughs> Oh, those are so many good tips. And I'd love to talk a little bit about avoiding burnout as a service provider, because I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. And I know even why I, you know, ended up moving out of the monthly management types of services is just you get burnt out. But I know that there's a better way. I know there's a way that you can serve people, you can be that service provider and avoid that burnout and and still make, you know, a premium amount of income from your clients. So what are those shifts that people can make if they're like, I'm feeling burnout, I'm not making enough from the work that I'm putting in for my clients? How can people make that shift to really see the difference in how they're able to serve? 
Yeah. So I definitely recommend uh, charging that premium rate, like the highest you can go (laughs) for your service in a way that makes you feel comfortable, like do that, because that makes such a difference when you get those bigger payments coming in from people and you kind of have them on a maybe payment plan or something and you can make your income predictable. And then also since the payments are bigger, you don't need as many people making the bigger payments. So like you're still making a premium income, but maybe you're working with three or four people and it feels nice and comfortable in your schedule. Right. And for the premium income, I'm curious, like, is there a formula that you use for that? Or is it based on just how you feel like the value you're serving? Cause I know everyone has a different way of doing that. And I'm kind of curious what it looks like for you. Yeah. So mine, it was kind of a little bit based on my capacity a little bit uh, and can kind of based on what I would want somebody's monthly payments to be. If they were on a payment plan, mm-hmm. I kind of made mine up because <laughs> I remember back when I was only charging 2000 and I had those people on payment plans. I'm like, these are some small payments for this payment plan right. um, to be spreading this over three months. So I was like, well, what if I only wanted to work with like four people a month and then I wanted to have each of them maybe on a payment plan and at least make five, six, thousand plus per month, some sometimes more, what would I need to be priced at to be able to do this? And then I ended up coming up with the 5,000 for that. Kind of looked around at the industry to see what other people were charging, right. who was charging premium. You don't want to compare yourself to the people who are underpriced. Because I think that's one mistake people right. make. And they look at the underpriced folks and like, oh, I'm charging too much. And it's like, no, they're underpriced and they may still have a nine mm-hmm. to five and they don't really need the money. And <laughs> right. so like, you can't compare yourself to that, especially if you're trying to do it full time. So yeah, so that's kind of my formula. It's not super polished, but it helps me. <laughs> it works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. Oh, the other tip I recommend having a nice signature package too. So you can just go mm. through the same steps with everybody for the most part, and you're not reinventing the wheel. And then if people ask you to do things out of your wheelhouse, sometimes people will do that. And then I'll tell them, no, I'm like, I'm not a copywriter. I have a copywriter right. I can refer you to. She's wonderful. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes I think we may get caught up at times saying yes to stuff in the beginning, just to try to please the client or that's not even in our wheelhouse thinking, of, yeah, it'll be a little more money or something. But if you don't even know how to do it, you're going to suck up a bunch of your time. Uh, <laughs> yep. Kind of act like you know how to do something that you really don't do. So don't be afraid to say no and uh, refer people to other experts if you need to as well. So Definitely. And I know one thing that I, for the longest time, I kind of like thought all my packages had to be custom. And then you realize there's actually literally just a few things that you're doing for your clients. Like there's a few things that you know you do well, that people need to have a part of their package and all the rest is fluff, you know? So I think if people are wanting to figure out out their signature package, that really helped me of figuring out like, what are the essential things people need to see those results, to see that transformation, stuff that I enjoy doing and that I'm not just putting it in because I know I'm supposed to be doing it. Having a referral network. I love that you mentioned that. That's something I've always had as well. And I think one thing that I've always found helpful is that like, if you do think that there's extra little bonus things that maybe you're open to offering, but it might just be, you know, that's where your custom packages come in. I kind of found it was helpful to have like a signature package. And then on the back end, know what my per item rates would be for adding things onto that for when I'm kind of like making that proposal. I, I know that really helped me. I'm curious if you have any um, tips when it comes to your signature package and how you kind of develop that versus doing like all the things to now just having this one package that's going to deliver those really great results. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So definitely it's, it did take some time working with some clients, I will say, to see what needed to be in the package. Uh, because I always tell people like, sometimes as you start working with people, you notice little gaps like in your process and you're like, wait, if I added this, it might come out better. Or if right. I give them a website copy outline, maybe they won't, uh, we won't have a blank website at the end of the project. <laughs> Or just like little things that can kind of support and help people along the way uh, to get to a strong end result. But yeah, that yeah, working with people in real life definitely helped. And then I guess to to your point of adjusting the package. So even though I do have this big main signature package, sometimes once I get to a discovery call, I may notice that sometimes people come to the process with certain parts of my package already done. So then I will kind of be a little flexible for them and be like, okay, well, I can take this section out for you since you already have it done somewhere else. But I don't necessarily like putting all those different things on my website, per se. I still prefer the full package because, of course, it's more money. (laughs) And then also, um, I I don't know. I just kind of like to keep it simple because I don't like giving people a bunch of menu items on a website because then to me, they get carried away. Like, well, which one do I want? A, B, C, D. (laughs) So just come talk to me. And if you have some stuff already, we can kind of work together and see what your package could look like after we talk one on one. Definitely. And I think that a lot of us assume that if you offer a lot of packages, that it's going to be more likely that people are interested. But sometimes offering the simpler package is actually what will get people on the call and convert a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they get overwhelmed in like analysis paralysis. Because I even noticed that working oh, in yeah. sales, like if you do tell people too many details or like too many options, they just kind of zone out <laughs> at yep. one point. So it's like, just chill out, like keep it simple for people and make the decision simple for them too. Totally. I completely agree with that. And just one last question for you. I'd love to end it off of kind of like sharing what it's been like for you to, you know, still be offering the service that you do, but switching more into that mentorship and coaching and, you know, mentoring role for people that are wanting to do that service. So any tips for people that are maybe doing a service and they want to eventually mentor on how to do that service or how to build that business or whatever that looks like, because it can be a tricky shift to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I will say if you are eventually wanting to get on that path, (laughs) don't wait to start creating uh, evergreen content. I'll say that because the evergreen content can generate a lot of like traffic over to your courses or to your um, funnel. Like if you create a funnel for your course too. So I didn't really put an emphasis on that when I was designing 100% focus on design. I wasn't really writing blog posts and I wasn't really working on YouTube. And uh, so I had to like start all this fresh new evergreen content from scratch. That's takes time to generate traffic. So I know if I would have started that way a long time ago, I would kind of be getting traffic from it already to help boost course sales. Uh, So definitely that's a big piece. Um, And then to me, being transparent about your story too, if you are making the switch, because for me personally, I kind of resonate more with people who I can learn from who kind of actually have real life business stories to share. Because I see a ton of people out there calling themselves mentors or coaches. And I'm like, well, what business did you run first? Like, (laughs) so kind of use your experience as a business owner and tell those stories and like open up about uh, your pricing struggles or just whatever struggles you've had. Like your people that you're probably mentoring and selling to, they are probably having the struggles right now. So don't be afraid to share that real stuff as you're uh, working on building up that mentorship side too. Definitely. And I I loved how you touched on that kind of evergreen content because um, I think, you know, of course I'm thinking of Instagram, but I think that 
whether you want to be that service provider or you know you want to add a product or you know you want to you know offer mentoring or whatever that looks like it really starts with your content and that you can start that content now like you can start showing up as that expert now and it'll equally attract the people that want to work with you and your services but also the people that want to learn from you and be where you are like i think that's something anyone can implement do you agree yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because it definitely, uh, with time-wise, with social media, because I know I'm going into my third year full-time, and I'm kind of getting slightly, even though it's not that much work for me, I guess, but I'm just kind of tired of posting every day on social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the evergreen content is like stuff that you can make. Like if you write a blog post like two years ago, literally when I wrote on brand photo shoots, it's still getting traffic now. And I'm like, right. what in the world? How is it still getting traffic from like Pinterest right now? Um, so those are things that, that can take you years and get traffic for years versus like a social post that's after 48, maybe 72 mm-hmm. hours and it's kind of dead unless you want to reuse the caption later or something. <laughs> right. But. Yeah. Oh, those are so many great tips. And I'm sure this really encouraged people, you know, what no matter what type of service you provide to increase your prices, give that premium experience and kick burnout to the curb. So thank you so much, Keisha. And I'm curious, where can people connect with you, learn more from you, work with you, all the things. Yeah. So you can connect with me. I'm everywhere on social media, on um, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn at Keisha M. White. And it's K-E-S-H-I-A. M is in Michelle and then White, W-H-I-T-E. And then you can get access to a free masterclass I have on how to master your marketing and attract high paying clients at SuccessfulServiceProvider.com. And you can check that out. And it's an on-demand masterclass that you can watch on your own time to get some really good marketing strategies. Ooh, that sounds so good. We will leave it in the show notes. And thank you so much, Keisha, for hanging out with me today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to today's expert guest for joining us. If you want to connect with today's guests or check out any of the important links mentioned in the show, I've linked the details in today's show notes. Join the conversation at hashtag the shine online podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. If you love what you've heard today, we really appreciate it. And it helps support our show. Remember, regardless of where you're at in your entrepreneurship journey, there's always room for your biz to shine. I'll see you next time.